the question is, are you fighting for your limitations or are you fighting for what you want? And often we find reasons to fight for limitations. And so what I've found with myself is I have to create a much more compelling story, something that is worth fighting for, something that's exciting to strive for. And when I do that, then my mind goes and stretches for that. It's interested in that compelling story and wants to fight for that instead of fighting for my fears or my imposter syndrome or those types of things. Welcome to Reinventing Perspectives. Today we have an amazing guest. We have Kyle Gillette. Kyle, please let us know who are you and what's your mission? Yeah, I'm Kyle Gillette. I run a business called Sage Mindset Coaching. My mission is to help a million people become better at their mindsets and habits so they can become the leaders they're meant to be. And I want to try to do that by 2025. So I'm on a timeline here. I got to get rolling faster and faster every day. I love to hear that. It means that the speed is not slowing down. It is just picking up. The train is moving. As new entrepreneurs, we love everything leadership, particularly and as you start your business, sort of stepping into that leadership position. Please, Kyle, tell us what is SAGE Mindset Leadership? SAGE is actually an acronym that stands for four things, and I like to describe it like a leadership house. So self-awareness is the foundation of your leadership house. If you struggle in that arena, the foundation of your leadership is not going to be very strong. Therefore, you can't build much of a house on top of it. Accountability is the nails that holds that leadership house together. Accountability to yourself and what you say you're going to do, but also holding your team accountable. And then growth is the walls and the roof. And it's also kind of the interior of your leadership as well. So there's times where we need to adjust and modify and move walls. We recently moved into our home and we had to totally adjust the bathroom to make it work for us. And it's the same thing in our leadership. We have to adjust things because we're growing and because the people we're leading are going to be influenced in different ways. And then the empowerment is the windows and doors. And that's where people see into your leadership through those windows. They see that and they get intrigued and they want to be under your influence. And then they knock on that door and then you open and they come on in. You have the opportunity to serve them and lead them as a sage leader. So that's the very small version of sage leadership. This is really powerful. How do we develop that self-awareness? Sure. Yeah. One of the simplest ways to do it is simply writing. In my book, I have five habits that I suggest to people for creating self-awareness. And one of them is journaling or writing and just taking the time every single day to get your thoughts out of your head and on the paper. That is really powerful. I mean, if you think about at the end of the day, if you just were to walk outside and talk to a light post for three minutes about your day, it would help you <laughs> because you're just dumping stuff out and releasing and letting go. Well, your journal serves as that light post or that opportunity just to dump. And in addition to getting it down on paper, then you get to look at it from this different perspective because now it's out of your head and you've hopefully just let it go. And then you can think about it. I did that this morning. Every Monday I do that where I do a CEO meeting where I meet with myself for 30 minutes and I reflect on the week ahead and the week behind. I'm worried or concerned about something, a membership I'm creating. I started to worry about that. And then I went, wait a second. I had it all typed out and I could read it. And then I realized I was fighting for my limitations instead of for what I want. And so I adjusted it, started thinking about, okay, what have I achieved? What are the things that I did want that I did achieve over the last year? And that totally shifted my perspective and my mindset, but I couldn't have seen that, I don't think, had I not, in my case, typed it out or written or journaled about it. So that's one of the first things you can do. It's hard to be self-aware until you know certain things. You know, like you talked about, I'm limiting myself. You might not even be aware that you're limiting yourself, but to have been exposed to ideas of limiting yourself makes you realize, oh, 
I shouldn't talk to myself that way or I shouldn't talk about this situation that way. Having that meter that makes you self-aware. 100%. There's a lady, why can't I remember her last name off the top of my mind? She is the go-to, the expert in self-awareness and she talks about only about 5 to 10% of us are actually truly self-aware. I think I'm not in that 5 to 10%. I'm working towards it, but it's a very low number. Most people think they are self-aware, but the research shows that we're not. And so to answer your question, how do we fix that? Well, if self-awareness is that foundation to leadership, your values are the rebar. Rebar in a foundation puts pressure on the concrete. And if you don't have that pressure on the concrete, it will crack, it will crumble. And it's not that useful without the rebar. It needs that reinforcement. Values are like that. They put pressure on us to make the right decisions. They put pressure on us to push against the things that go against our values. And that keeps our foundation or our self-awareness firm. So if someone doesn't know their values, that's okay because it's an exercise that you can go through and you don't have to get it perfect. It's more a matter of being aware, at least a little bit, of your filters. What is it that is allowing you to make decisions? What are the filter words you use to decide if you're going to do this thing or do that thing, interact with those people or not interact with them? If you can get that dialed in, get it written down again, the writing part, that will help you to then have a filter that reinforces that self-awareness and helps you to stay strong when things get a little bit confusing or you get a little overwhelmed because that's inevitable, unfortunately, in life and in, in leadership. But if you have those values, that helps you to know what to do in those circumstances. Why do you say it's so important establishing our values? For me, I have a really strong desire to help people shift their mindsets and habits because I want people to be the leaders that they're meant to be. And in order for me to do that, I need to serve. And one of my values is service. And I need to find in many ways as possible to serve my clients, to help them with their mindsets and their habits. And often what that service looks like is a little bit uncomfortable because my service to my clients is saying some things or asking some questions that are tough, that are challenging and uncomfortable for them. But if I'm truly going to serve them at that deep level to fit that vision, to impact that many people, and more importantly, to impact that client right in front of me, I need to ask the question that's really uncomfortable. And when I do that, now I'm truly serving that person at a much deeper level for a lot longer, right? Because my service to my clients is to help them solve a future problem, right? So this conversation isn't about today and solving a problem of today. This conversation is about what insight can I provide or what question can I ask to you, your listeners, or my clients that will help them solve a problem six months from now. In other words, you take action today that serves you because it solves a problem six months from now that you won't even know you avoid it. That's a value that I'm trying to implement or trying to fulfill all the time when I'm working with my clients. And do I? No. But slowly, I'm getting towards that path as I focus on that that one. I have many, but one particular value. If you feel like self-awareness is something that you understand, you're hearing it, but you're not quite hearing it, that beginning exercise, at the end of the day, reflecting and saying, well, did I serve my client based on your value? Did I serve my client and have those difficult conversations? That could be the beginning of sort of you practicing self-awareness and what you do. So, well, thank you so much for that. Just a quick ask. If you're finding this information helpful, please share it with someone that you know would love this conversation and would find this information beneficial. Thank you again for listening in. And 
let's jump back into our conversation. It's often difficult to lead yourself, I've found. You may have all these ideas, but to actually push yourself, to actually lead yourself to get mm. into something, there's like this disconnect. What are the biggest blocks to being able to lead yourself? One of them is we don't cast a big enough vision for ourselves, and we start to believe the doubt that we put into ourselves. I talked about this in a post that I'm going to send out in a couple of weeks. And the question is, are you fighting for your limitations or are you fighting for what you want? And often we find reasons to fight for limitations. What I've found with myself is I have to create a much more compelling story, something that is worth fighting for, something that's exciting to strive for. And when I do that, then my mind goes and stretches for that. It's interested in that compelling story and wants to fight for that instead of fighting for my fears or my imposter syndrome or those types of things. And that's one path of many, but one path that I've used to help overcome those fears, those limitations that I put on myself. Casting a big vision. I think of people in circumstances where sometimes it's even hard for you to think big because of maybe what you see around you, because mm -hmm. of the environment, because of the people you associate with, because of your world as you know it. If you were someone I was talking to like in a webinar or a group coaching or coaching, I would want to know. And I want to ask you this question right now on the podcast. Priscilla, what is it that you really want to achieve in the next six months to a year? What's the, you could call it a goal. What's the thing that's really important to you that you want to achieve? To grow this podcast, to reach the people who need these conversations that we're having. My hope is that each conversation can sort of bring light bulbs for whoever's listening. I think that's why even the question I just asked right now, there are people who hear cast a big vision and they hear it, they understand it just right. hearing the words, but they struggle with how do I cast a big vision? You know, so I'm trying in those conversations to think cool. of that person. Okay, perfect. So let's walk through it. So I asked you that question because I wanted to get to the why. What's the why behind your goal? And you got there. A lot of times when I ask that question, it takes several questions to get to the why but you got there quick you know what it is which is beautiful so to cast a large vision you could put a number behind it if you want to there's various things you can do there but more importantly it's how many people can you tell that vision to how many people can you tell that compelling story of creating light bulb moments through your podcast of helping people to really understand how to do the things that people talk about on your podcast right and you come up with as many people on that list that you can think of and then you tell them and you tell them that compelling story of why you want to do this. And that starts to create and build this desire in you to fulfill that vision, right? When you tell all these people. And before I go any further, what I'm sharing with you is what I call an accountability pass, P-A-S-S. -S. And this portion of it I'm talking about is passive accountability. So it's telling your compelling story, not just a story, but your personal compelling story of what you want to achieve to as many people as possible. And when I say that, I'm talking about personally talking to them. So maybe 30 or 40 people that you're personally sharing in your story with. This creates this intrigue, this excitement within them. And eventually some of them, not very many, but some of them, 10%, maybe three or four will follow up with you and ask you, Hey, what's going on with this vision that you have with this goal that you have? And that then forces you to go, Oh crap, I better get on it because these people are going to follow up with me. And then you get on it as a result, but you also care. So you're going to get on it that way. The second part of that is 
is that compelling story of what you're trying to achieve, the more detailed you can get and the more specific you can get about it. In other words, you tell the story as if it is already happening. It's like you're writing a book to a 12-year-old and you're telling that 12-year-old that your podcast is super successful. Hundreds of people have benefited with these light bulb moments in their life. It's changed their businesses. And now you're talking with all these people and all these details of the benefits. Your brain, if you create the story clear enough, your brain doesn't know the difference between that story you created and your reality. And so though there is a difference, your brain notices the gap and has to fix it. But because you've created that accountability and you've also created this really compelling story for yourself, your brain fills in that gap for you and starts to go, okay, well, how do I make sure all these people have these light bulb moments? And then all of a sudden you have these light bulb moments because you've engaged the supercomputer of your brain in the process. That's one part of the past, but I'll stop there. That would be a way to cast that vision and to create that vision. It becomes so clear, Kyle, personal development in this space where it's like you learn a lot, but for some reason you don't implement because you don't really understand how to translate what you just learned to what yeah. you should actually do. So, wow. Sorry, let me share one more bit of this to make it super concrete. So to make it super concrete, you know, I talked about the gap between where you are and where you want to be and telling your story. After this episode, I would encourage you and anybody else that's listening to make a list of 40 people that you can tell your story to. Start telling them. And I don't mean email them. That doesn't count. I mean, and I don't mean text either. I mean, phone call in person. That's the only way that this truly works because what it does is it helps you to own that vision. When you tell people personally, it's easy to email a thousand people and tell them what your vision is. Anybody can do that. That's not hard and it's not scary. But when you're telling people personally, that's scary, right? And that then shapes your vision and shapes you in the process to becoming the person you need to be to achieve that vision. And if you don't do that part, it's going to be way harder to get there. You'll have to rely on who you are now to get there, which if your vision's big enough, you're not going to be able to get there with the version of yourself you are now. I can't reach a million people with the version of me right now. There's no freaking way. <laughs> but that's okay because I'm telling people and it's shaping me in the process. Number two is write down your compelling story and write it as if it already happened or it's happening, right? And do it in 150 to 250 words. You can do it in pen or you could do it, type it down. It, it doesn't matter too much, but just put it down on paper so that you can see it in front of you, what it's going to feel like, what it's going to sound like, what you're going to see as you achieve this goal. And that makes your vision much more likely to become a reality. So those are very, very practical ways to cast your vision and then make it happen. Your version of who you are today isn't going to get you to where you need to go. Sometimes yeah. you think, oh, I can't have a big vision because look at me, look at, who, look at who I am. I can't get there. And you just spoke to that, that no, it's true. Who you are today is not going to get you to where you need to go. And breaking through fear is part of this process. You mentioned something at the beginning that really intrigued me. It made me think about being around the right people. In the accountability section of this whole framework I've created, I talk about creating a personal advisory board. And if we're going to get to where we need to be, there's two big things we need to do. One, surround ourselves with the right people. And I'll give you the practical way to do that, or not the uh, practical way to do that. This is a way that I do it. And then number two, there's something called the calibration habit. So first, we need to create a personal advisory board. And that's a group of people, five to seven people that you consistently interact with and you intentionally interact with. And I'm not talking about going to some conference room and sitting around a big mahogany table with seven people. What I'm talking about is, I'm sure Priscilla, you have people in your life that you know that are really wise, that are super helpful to you. And they may be people you consistently reach out to already. Well, those two or three people are on your advisory board. 
Now the challenge is, are they the right people for you right now to get to this vision that you have? Or for the listener, are those people the right people for you to get to your vision right now? And if they're not, then kick them off your board. They don't know it, it doesn't matter. You just quit reaching out to them for their insight and you reach out to someone else that's better fit for you to accomplish what you want to accomplish. So you want about two or three of those people that you personally know that you can have, again, back to that phone, video, or in person. Right? It's the only way this works, phone, video, or in person. It doesn't work to do it via email. Then you have a dead person. You want a dead person on your advisory board. And it sounds funny, but what I mean is there's people from the past that are absolutely phenomenally brilliant, and they've brought unbelievable wisdom to the world. And that could be someone as old as you know 5,000 years ago to someone that died just a few months ago. And right now, there's someone on my board that died last year. And I was listening to one of his messages today, and it totally impacted me, inspired me. So he's on my board. I quote, reach out to him by looking at his content. And it was actually a video and that's changing me, but he's at a level that I want to get to, right? His attitude, his approach to things is where I want to get. So you've got the one person that's not alive. Then you've had the two to three people that you know, and then you have two to three people that you're afraid to reach out to. Those are the other people you need to contact. Those ones that are way up there. You're like, there is no way that this person would give a crap about me <laughs> that has any interest in learning about my situation. Well, you're probably wrong about that because often when we just seek people out genuinely with the only desire is to learn from them and to grow as a result, people love that. They love that. Why do you think everybody gets on podcasts all the time? We love to share our insights. So if we personally reach out to them with a genuine interest in their wisdom and to serve them in the process, now you can have a phenomenal board. And what it does is it creates that second part, which is the calibration part, where you're calibrating your leadership and who you are to other people. You're not comparing, you're calibrating. You're going, if this is the measure of what's possible in leadership in this particular area of leadership, I'm going to look at that and calibrate. How do I enhance myself and move myself to that level? And that advisory board will help you to figure that out. And some of those people will be people you can calibrate to as well. So that's kind of a shorter version of how to grow yourself to get to this place you need to get so you can accomplish that vision. Thank you so much for breaking that down, Kyle. Now, when you're talking about you have your person that is your person from the dead, I got so mm -hmm. curious because it's going to give us an idea of who is Kyle. Chuck Missler. He's actually a pastor from Idaho. He lived in Idaho for a bit. He's a former CIA guy. He's a former Navy guy. He's a former computer guy. And he is, was, I guess you could say, absolutely one of the most intelligent men I've ever, I've never met him in person and I, and I won't. <laughs> one of the most intelligent people I've ever interacted with. And so I'm consistently looking at his messages and his books and the content that he's created because it adds to my life significantly. I highly recommend people, especially if you're a Christian and you're interested in really diving deeply into the Bible, then he's great for that. But he's also just really super wise. <laughs> so I recommend him for that purpose too. Thank you for sharing that with us. I know people are going to be really focused on being more productive as we begin the year. And I love that this is the gear that you're in with your mission, that you're going to reach a million people. What are some of the tips to getting more productive? People come to me for productivity often. That's what they think the target is. That's what they think the goal is. And yes, it's helpful to get more productive. But often what it turns out is what they need is more accountability because we know what to do. We just don't do it. That's fundamentally what happens. And yes, we're overworked and overwhelmed. And so that creates 
creates a hindrance to our productivity. But if we just do what we say we're going to do, then our productivity will go up. And part of that is holding other people accountable to what they're supposed to do to help your business go forward or help you move forward and help them move forward. And often people don't do that. They struggle to hold people accountable to what they're supposed to do. And then what does that do? It creates an issue for the leader because then they have to take care of it, or at least they think they have to do the work for the employee or deal with the problem or whatever it is. And all that takes a bunch of time. But if you were to be true to your word, determine expectations very clearly, share those expectations very clearly, prepare people to be able to achieve them, and then hold them accountable to doing it and then reward them and encourage them when they do it. Most importantly, that part, rather than holding them accountable, it's more like, great job, you did this, you did that, great insight and encouraging them in that process. Your workload will change and therefore you become more efficient and more productive. We do that little shift in the way that we think about productivity and go, it's about accountability and what I say I'm going to do. Because I'm sure all of us have these goals we want to achieve and all we need to do is make a couple phone calls, but we haven't done it, right? Or we just need to do a couple things, but we haven't done it. Well, that's an accountability issue. It's not because we don't care. It's not because we're lazy. It's not because we're bad people. It's just some of that stuff is scary and some of that stuff is hard. And so we can avoid it at times. And then number two, people think about productivity and they think about doing more, which is fine, or being more efficient, which is also fine. But I want to take people up the next level, which is, yes, let's be more efficient. Let's be more productive and get more done kind of thing. But the only way you can do that effectively and at good quality is if you manage your energy. Productivity is really about energy management. Do you do a good job? Do I do a good job of managing my energy so that when I'm plugging into the most difficult tasks, I have the best energy for that. And when I'm slogging at the end of the day, what am I doing at the end of the day? Because I'm really, really tired. And if I'm trying to do something that requires a lot of brain function or requires a lot of conversation with someone and I'm an introvert, I'm not managing my energy very well. And therefore my productivity shrinks dramatically. And then I pay a price for that in the moment at home and then the next day as well. That's a couple reasons I got more, but those are the reasons why people I've found in my coaching have lower productivity than they want. You're so right. It's not about actually being more productive. It's about you're not even doing the things that you said you were going to do. If you actually did those things, you'd probably feel way, way productive because you actually do the things you said you would do. And I love that energy to activity match, not just doing things, but doing the medicine and live a while. I don't have it figured out. I definitely don't follow through on everything I say to myself that I'm going to do. I try to with the people that I tell. And that's why you got to tell people. There's a higher compulsion to do it when you say to someone else that you're going to do a certain thing. I struggle too. So I don't have it figured out, but I'm figuring figuring it out just like all of us. <laughs> Thank you for figuring it out with us. I also find that when I tell someone I'm going to do something for them, oftentimes I will do, do those things first. The things oh, yeah, I said totally. I would do for others. Before I do the things I said I would do for myself, the things that only I know. Yep. I think we've sort of gone through the S of Sage, the A of Sage, yeah, we've touched on both of those for sure. And we touched a little bit on the growth part of Sage as well with the calibration habit. Let's talk about the E. What is the number one secret to empowering others? I don't know if it's the number one secret because there's a lot that I talk about in this framework that's really helpful. But the one that I love to share with people on the podcast because it's easy to do. And well, there's two. So let me share two. So one of them is study your people. If you're leading people, study them, know them intimately. 
And I know that's a funny word for the business world, but know them intimately. In other words, know what drives them, know what excites them, know what they're not good at, what they're good at, and truly understand them as a personality, as a person. Just know them deeply. And this doesn't mean you have to hug them and know about their personal life and know what's going on with their dog or with their grandmother. That's not what I mean. I mean, what is it about their job that excites them? What is it about the work that they just recently finished for you that they're proud of? Do you know the answer to that question? And if you don't, you don't know your people. Who is it that they get along with the best in the workplace and why? Who is it that they struggle with the most in the workplace and what's going on there? What are those two people doing about it that's creating problems for both of them, right? There's hundreds and hundreds of questions we can ask, but ultimately study your people, know them deep. And I think intimately is a good word here. And how you do that is up to you. But one simple thing you can do is have one-off conversations with them, just a simple hello type conversations and ask them open-ended questions. And that is as simple as saying, what do you think? Four words, what do you think? They come to you with a problem, what do you think? I saw that you did this on this project and you did a really good job. What were you thinking when you did that, right? It's not an accusation, it's a curiosity. So to study your people, you gotta get curious and ask those open-ended questions. So if you really wanna empower someone, you need to know them and then they feel good about what they're doing with you and for you. And then they're gonna grow, they're gonna improve themselves. That's one of the first steps in empowering other people. Talk to us about your book. Sure. So I wrote a book called Sage Leadership, a four-part framework for becoming a people-first leader. And the book works through the four different pillars of Sage. And then I work through a bunch of different mindsets and habits associated with each of those pillars. And we've talked about six or so of those mindsets and habits in this podcast. In the book, I break them down with stories and stats and practical ways. So I work through mindsets and habits of each of those pillars in a way that you understand what the mindsets and habits mean, how that can be implemented into your life and business in a very practical way. And then typically I add a story to it to enhance it in your mind to get it really stuck in your mind. The book is designed so that you can use it as a bit of a reference for whatever area you want to grow in, in those mindsets and habits. And you can look in it and go, okay, I really want to grow in listening. I really want to grow in patience. I want to grow in being more coachable myself or coaching my employees. And every section of the book gives you practical ways to do that. So ultimately with the point of it being hey, if you want to truly take your business to the next level, you got to lead people in really powerful and good ways. And it's available on Amazon for yep. an international audience. Yes. Thank you so much for that. What is the number one book that has impacted you the most? I mean, the Bible is definitely the book that's influenced me the most. And then if you think of another book, it's more of a seasonal thing for me because I read a lot of different books. The most recent one was called Crucial Accountability. That one has really impacted me heavily and the clients that I work with. But the Bible forever <laughs> has always been a big influence for me. And then the most recent one is Crucial Accountability. What has been your biggest leadership lesson? I used to ride motorcycles and I had a Harley Sportster. I was riding around with buddies quite a bit and got pretty confident, overconfident on the motorcycle. Where I was living at the time, we lived right next to the Pacific Ocean and there was this new housing development going in and they had these perfectly paved asphalt streets. And so I one day decided I'm gonna go hop on my motorcycle, go up into the hills of this area. It was hilly pasture land and then it had a wide open view of the Pacific Ocean. So super early in the morning, popped on the bike and I rode up to that area. And I got to the very top of 
it and it's cul-de-sac and I could just beautiful view I'm leaning on the bike and I'm just like this is amazing and then I got back on the bike and I didn't remember the road as well as I thought I did and I started going really fast in a residential area that was kind of curvy and I was coming up this hill at 50 miles an hour in a residential area there's no houses at this point right so it's still in development but the hill wasn't just a hill it was a curved hill so it went up and then it curved and then you had these curbs you know the curbs of the sidewalk and I noticed that there was no way I was going to make the turn and instead of slowing down or leaning hard I grabbed the brakes and so then I skid into that curb and I remember looking down at the speedometer I was going 30 35 miles an hour and going "Uh (laughs) uh-oh Front tire hits the curb, it bends, it turns me sideways, smashes my foot, jams my shoulder and my hand into the handlebars, and then I go flying 30 feet in the air. My legs land in a barbed wire fence, they get hooked up in there, and then I slam my head down on the ground, and it knocks me out. So I wake up, and here's the motorcycle 15 to 18 inches from my head. Like, the the motor of the motorcycle is just super close to me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not hurt. I had to untangle my legs from, from the barbed wire fence, still have some scars on my shin from where the barbed wire went into my leg. But other than that, I just untangled my legs and then I sat up and I really wanted to go to sleep and I really wanted to throw up because I definitely had a concussion. But somehow the bike stopped before it crushed my head. That event changed my life. It took like a year before I really realized what that event represented for me. I have more to give this life and to other people. And I survived that because there's still more for me. And then I almost drowned twice after that too in two other incidents. So I have more to give and so do you and so do your listeners. And if you've experienced a near death type thing or if you've experienced a really scary situation with an illness or even a lighter situation where you could have been significantly more hurt, there's more for you to do. Or if you did get hurt and you're still problems from it, there's still more for you to do. And you're in this condition in this situation because there's still more for you to do. Thank you for sharing that. Wow. Well, we're glad you're here and we're glad you're sharing your message with (laughs) us, Kyle. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And I think it leads us perfectly into my last question, which is always, what has faith meant to you on your journey? You know, I do something every Monday morning at 8 a.m. And I started this in July of 2021. For 30 minutes from 8 a.m. to 8.30 a.m., I meet with the CEO of my business, which is God. And we have a conversation about what's going on in the business right now, what I'd like to see happen in the future, and and a little bit of a conversation about what happened in the past week. Sometimes it's all rainbows and butterflies. Other times it's all tears and anger. Sometimes it's both, right? But it's an honest, open, real conversation about what's going on. My faith is a huge reason why I want to reach a million people. And the reaching of a million people isn't me personally. It's impacting people that impact people. It's a multiplication. It's a discipleship in a way. And so my faith is what really pushes me to go far beyond just the drive to serve people. It's deep than that. It's more of an eternal perspective on why I'm doing what I'm doing. Kyle, thank you for the information you've shared with us. Thank you for allowing us to get to know you and to know the message that you're here to share with us. And hopefully this is part of the multiplying effect on your mission. To our audience, please go to sagemindset.com. And then Kyle, please tell us where can people get to connect with you? Yep. Best place would be on LinkedIn. Just look me up, Kyle Gillette. Find me with the Sage Mindset stuff. And then of course the website. Thank you for that, Kyle. Thank you so much. I hope you got a lot of information, a lot of actionable things out of these episodes. Please, two huge favors from you. Please let us know what kind of things you'd like to hear. And if you really love the episode, please support us by going and leaving a review in your podcast listening app. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with the Reinventing Perspectives podcast. We value you. See you again next week. (laughs) 